Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. All right, welcome into Believe Network. I'm Sean Salisbury, Sean Salisbury Show. Uh, it's been on my mind the entire weekend, and it continues to baffle me when it comes to, I mean, we got a lot to discuss, I know, throughout the offseason, and the draft has been in our kitchen um, on a regular basis. People want to judge. The ironic thing is when we're judging drafts, we like grades, we're judging grades from other people that do the same thing we all do, sit at home and mark it down and study it. I'm not talking about draft gurus. I'm just talking about people who sit at home and we get pissed on grades like, oh, you gave them a B and we're giving them grades based on their college performance and what you saw as if the grades from us judge it harsher than the guys who drafted them and studied them. It just, uh, so, so don't, don't panic. Like I said, it's just, it's just letter grades, which I think are the most overrated damn thing in the world when it comes to, I know that's what we do. And it's lazy fodder for all of us. Say, oh, I give him a B, a B on what the hell are you giving him a B on the, and that the truth is most of us that sit at home. Now, some of us who are, and I know there's a lot of, well, experts at home there we're at all of us. All right. I know there's a lot of people that sit at home. You have your team or your conference, and let's say you don't watch the Pac-12 and all of a sudden, oh, man, why would you drop that guy in the third round? Well, because they scouted him and liked him. Well, there, was a, there could have got a guy in the third round from Vanderbilt who, who I saw play four times. Well, how many times did you see the guy from Stanford play? Well, I didn't. Or maybe once on highlights on SportsCenter. And I just, he doesn't fit what I call a value pick. Who's putting value on these people? You, me? The value of what Nick Casario in Houston or Chris Ballard in, the, in Indianapolis puts on theirs. Listen, I get it. We all honestly, and I know there's a tons, tons of people just study this stuff like crazy, study the draft through and through. I get it. They know more than us. So I'm going to say that every podcast, as long as I, have. they know more than us, at least from those college guys and stop it, stop it, stop it. You don't know at least 99% of you don't know the backup tight end at Slippery Rock. You just don't. Unless you went to Slippery Rock or from that region of the country and you watched a kid play in high school and he was the second tight end there and somehow somebody drafted him because he's an athlete. Stop it. J just stop it. Not that you're not as expert as some other draft gurus because there's a lot of them because I find it hard-pressed to believe that most of them can get through 300 players in their study. You just can't. Some guys that listen, there's some guys that win this draft in the fifth round. I've never heard of before. And I watch college football religiously. So don't worry about the grades. Keep on using your fodder and get after it. Judge it the way you want, but don't be pissed if somebody judges it different than you. They, they, and because the, the letter grades are coming from what, how they performed in college. Or are we giving them letter grades on some that how they fit into that team or both or what their value was? Who's putting, who, who labels what the value is? I mean, so if you had a guy as a third rounder, but Chris Ballard has him as a second rounder, whose value should I trust? Mine, because I judged him as a third rounder because I watched, you know, 12 games he played uh, last year and 12 more the year before, or the guy who's probably studied 15 hours of tape on him, even though we may have too, the value that fits in there. So I, my point is that's not something that was in my crawl all weekend, but it is every year because we are, oh man, I can't believe they draft that guy fourth and they could have got him eighth. Well, what happens if the person at eight didn't want to be a trade partner? So slow it down. But there are some things that 
that's sticking. I'm, I'm instead of more of a draft mock draft guy, which I respect people who do it. I'm more of a, how do they fit guy? And in truth with this one, there's not even, we're not even, it's not a lot of draft talk. You know, we can sit here and talk about what the jets did and get Jermaine Johnson and sauce Gardner and, and, uh, Wilson and who else they get um, Wilson and Gardner and uh, Johnson, Wilson, Gardner, Johnson. And I, Oh, and the um, Wilson Gardner Johnson. See already whacked out Wilson Gardner Johnson. Oh, and Brees hall in the second round, you get four, four of those cats and you're saying I'm giving them an a, well, how are they going to apply that to Sundays in the NFL? We'll see. But I'm sticking to a couple things that, that, are, that are on my mind. I want to get back to this Baker Mayfield. Why? Well, I know people talk about him. There's not, there is a lot to talk about, but not a lot of production from last year. And I'm just going to give you my two cents worth on him, the player. I'm not talking about what's gone on and, and, and why they traded for Watson. They traded for Watson because they think he's a better player. Not from what Baker said on some podcast and getting to work. It's the fact of the matter is this. Why isn't he moved yet? And I'm going to tell you how I feel about this. For me, I don't think it's just money. I don't. I have, I have pounded the table for Baker Mayfield. I have. And at least going into this year, even when he had a, a struggle in his second year, I said he's better than this. Somewhere along the line, aside from injuries, their roster's been good enough to win. I know they had that playoff game where he had a chance in the, against Kansas City. And it, and, and it really had given them hope, but they got more hope now with Watson because Watson's a better player. But you say it went south really quick, and it did, whether it's the way they felt about Mayfield, whether it's the way teammates felt about Mayfield, which I've discussed a little bit on this, and who was at fault in that locker room. I'm sticking just to football and the impact a quarterback like Mayfield can or can't make or has or hasn't. Up and down, we talked about his performance, but the question is now, of course he's not going to be in Cleveland. You're, 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 you're not, he's not going to be there. So the question is, why haven't you moved him? If I put him in competition with Sam Darnold, who was a third pick in that same draft, or I put him in competition with Drew Locke, do you really believe Baker Mayfield's not a top 32 starter in the league? I know there's a lot that goes into this, the constant chatter. I wish he'd just go to work and get back to a walk-on mentality and like somebody quit on him in college and then he had to transfer schools and go kick ass there to prove himself. I, I really do. I wish with all my heart that he would focus back on that. The chip doesn't need to be a chatter chip. The chip on his shoulder needs to be a do work chip. Just get your ass to work and let your performance and get your health, get yourself healthy. Last year while trying to prove you were tough, it backfired because not only trying to prove that when people really weren't questioning it, questioning it, but they saw flaws in the game while you were trying to prove you're tough. And then all the chatter. And here we are, they went out and got a quarterback that after your third year, meaning after Baker Mayfield's third year, there was nobody talking about being interested in another quarterback. The talk was at this time last year, when's Baker Mayfield getting his contract extension with the big money guys, right? Now the dude's on the street and you can't give him away for an apple and a roadmap. Now, my perception is that he's a better player than that. He's somewhere between season three and last year. And I think he's better than he is worse. I think mentally and sometimes the emotion and the rabbit ears gets the best of him. You don't need to keep talking about what happened in Cleveland. We know 
even if we don't know it all, do we really care? Because Baker Mayfield lovers are going to always be Baker Mayfield lovers. Apologists are going to be apologists. People who don't like him are going to find reasons more not to like him. And people in between are sitting back saying, I don't give a rat's ass. Let me see where you end up and let's go play. And like I said, while I've defended him, and quite frankly, at times I don't need to apologize for him. I still think he can play in this league. I still think he can start in this league. But if you're giving advice and he doesn't need my advice, he was the first pick of the draft. I would just say sit back, go to work, and, and let everybody else talk. You don't need to. Just like the Colts. The Colts don't need to keep talking about Carson Wentz. Let it friggin' go, man. We know it didn't work. We know it was a somewhat disaster. And you don't need to keep revisiting that. We know. Focus on who you got. They'll always tell you in the building, we're here to coach who, you know, like if there's a holdout at camp, we're coaching the guys in the building, the guys that are here. Okay, then talk about the guys that are there. Colts don't need to be talking about Carson Wentz. I love Chris Ballard. Let go. It's like Carson Wentz doesn't need to say anything more about the Colts. Baker Mayfield doesn't need to talk about Cleveland. While he's kind of still there, he's, he's not going to be there. Okay, it's like chasing a ghost. He's out. So he doesn't need to talk about Kevin Stefanski. The, the Browns don't need to talk about anybody but what's in their building. What's done is done. It worked out a little bit. Didn't work out the way they wanted it to. Although anybody that looks me in the face say Baker Mayfield sucks. Now, if you want to say he's a bust, I think it's a bit of a reach, but I get it. First pick of the draft. Two bad years, two good years. Where is he? Two bad years, two good years don't warrant you being the first pick of the draft. So I get why some would say that. I don't, I'm not going to tell somebody they shouldn't feel that way. But I can tell you this. He gave a franchise hope that had zero for a long time. And now they've got players and they've probably got more hope than they even had with Baker because Deshaun, as I said, is a better player. But it's time for Baker to move forward. And so you ask yourself, why isn't somebody trading for him? Well, one is, are they saying, you're going to cut his ass anyway, so why would I trade, give up an asset for him and take, take on all that salary? That's one. But you're getting $19 bucks, 18 and a half, whatever it is. And really, for a starting quarterback in the league that's, who's been in the league four years and has given you some production in, in a playoffs, you, you wouldn't think that's a lot of money. We got receivers making $30. So you're like, well, okay, but what if he's not the starter? Well, okay, then, then $19 million is a backup. Fairly hefty. Okay, well, what if we split it? Well, split it if the Browns were willing to take on something and say, oh, take a fifth round pick and we'll split the, the price with you. At least you're getting something that you didn't think you were going to get. But I'm going to tell you this. I don't think because I don't think the, the money you can move salary cap and manipulate it any way you want. I don't think this is all about money. And I'm going to continue to root for Baker Mayfield until he proves to me that he's out of the league and can't play. Because even though I know he's got flaws and the rabbit ears and he needs to just focus on winning, I still think he's competitive and good enough. I've seen enough to tell me that there are, that the guy's got some game. And up until the Watson trade started to, to, to around until this past year, there were people that were holding out hope that he could get big money and be their future and their, and their franchise guy. Well, they've got their guy now. So I don't think this is about money. I don't. I think a little bit for some teams. For teams that really don't want to get into the fray, it's about money. Well, salary cap and the rest of it. But if you're a desperate team and we got a handful of them, why wouldn't you, number one, try to get them to split the price? I get it. If they don't, if you like Baker Mayfield, and if you like Baker Mayfield, maybe that's not enough to get in. But if you love Baker Mayfield, which tells me right now, why wouldn't the Seahawks, why wouldn't Carolina... Is it Baker Mayfield, the money? 
Some maybe. Is it Baker Mayfield the player? Some maybe. Is it Baker Mayfield partial headache? Would you hear about what's going on in locker rooms? What you believe? And if I was a team and I was desperate, Baker Mayfield can beat out three or four starters in this league. I, I believe that. Guys that that uh, that may not. I mean, competing against golf or competing against Drew Locke or competing against my SC guy Sam Darnold, that gives you a fair shot to say, man, if he gets that chip on his shoulder, he can play. Are you willing to risk? Well, he's going to be the backup at 19 million if you trade for him. But can you imagine being the first pick of the draft and four years later after you've been in the playoffs, you've had a first and third good year that you can't, nobody's willing to give up a seventh round pick or are they, or are the Browns saying, I'm not taking a seventh round pick. We're not giving him away, regardless of what you hear from everybody. Or is it, dude, we'll give you away. Nobody wants it. So if, if that's the case and people really aren't standing a couple teams in line to grab him, you're going to tell me some wouldn't jump on him if they cut him? You would think they would, right? So I don't know what the depth of their discontent with Baker Mayfield is, but I know this. Talking about where he was ain't helping where he's going. It's got to change. I am going to believe that Baker Mayfield will start again in this league. Now, even though I pounded the table for him, the, if, if, he, if I was his quarterback coach in, in the NFL... I would simply say there, there's, there's, there's got to be some prove it to me too. Whatever staff he goes to, there's going to be that. And he's got some, some proven to do to make sure he gets back on track. And he can't play worrying about the money. He can't play worrying about how he was dealt a bad hand or how he was injured. Baker Mayfield's got to go back to the walk-on mentality to have the success he wants. And he can't worry about the Browns. And a lot of times, all of us, we spend so much time harping on what should have been where I was, and we don't focus on what could be where I'm going. And it could be a better situation for you than it was in Cleveland. They've got their franchise guy. Just look at the salary. That's done. That, that ship has sailed. So for Baker Mayfield, what's next? Keep telling us about it or finally and get back to doing, which made you the first pick in the draft in the first place. To second-year quarterbacks, this conversation's happening a lot. I heard conversation throughout the weekend. I heard it earlier today. And for me, of the second-year quarterbacks that are challenged and, and the good and the bad and what we can expect from second-year quarterbacks this year in the NFL and who's the leading candidate in the clubhouse. Well, first, let's, let's go through some of the things they have. Zach Wilson, how can you not love his arm and physical skills? Hell, he still looks like he's about 12, right? I had a conversation, a couple conversations with him because I trained a quarterback that was at BYU. And two times I flew into Provo to work, Zach was in the field house working. This is pre-NFL draft. And I thought he was an engaging guy that was confident. And the ball sounds a little different coming off his hand, but we're past that now. He's, he's not at BYU. He's in the NFL. The thing I think that took me aback the most was I'm not worried about can he make some clutch throw deep down the field or on the run and do magical stuff. And it goes with all these guys, but big arm guys for me. I'm not worried about making the big play once in a while. Mahomes, Josh Allen, people say, oh, they make it all the time. No, they don't. They miss big throws down the field. They miss a sidearm throw on the run. They'll throw a pick sometimes forcing a ball. Now they don't do it much because they're, they're in that five, six, seven elite deep category of the best of the best. But the greatest quarterbacks on the planet and the best in this league 
hit the easy stuff and the simple stuff all the time. Now, when I say all the time, of course, nobody completes 100% of their balls, 0 to 15. I'm talking about that 0 to 12 to 15 range. That is where you live. You rent the deep ball space. The on the run, throw it up in the hole, hole shot against two deep. The three-step quick drop, they blitz. The corner cheats, and you throw a hole shot before the safety gets over the top. The on the run, off balance, sidearm, shallow crosser that you're about to get hit, you make the throw, or the deep over route. We've seen Mahomes and Josh Allen. The game that Josh Allen and Mahomes had going back and forth doing crap that normal human beings wouldn't even attempt, and special human beings uh, would, would question attempting it. There's rarefied air that those guys were doing what they were doing, but they still miss big plays. I can line up guys in the NFL, play one-on-one against air, quarterback, corner, receiver, and throw deep balls one-on-one without a pass rush, and they're not going to complete 50 or 60% of those balls 45 yards down the field. Hell, sometimes against air, two of them are going to fall out of bounds. One's going to be overthrown. One's going to be underthrown. They'll catch five, and one might get dropped. So those big plays that, man, that, you, that, that are extra special, a guy steps out of a pass rush, makes a 20-yard run. A guy steps out of a pass rush, w- going left, throws right across his body, hits a 40-yard you know, a, a uh, post. The, the deep in cut that you saw Mahomes throw to Tyreek Hill against Buffalo on two-man, run away, and then he gets out the back door and goes and scores. Those type of plays are spectacular and great. But like a home run hitter, I talked to it was Tom Glavin a handful of years ago. And we were talking about when I interviewed him, the pitcher for the Atlanta Braves, on who he'd rather face, that guy who's a masher who can get hit at 500 feet or the guy who just hits singles. And he told me, he goes, oh, I can always get the home run hitter. out." He wasn't being arrogant. It was just factual. But it's those Tony Gwynn's, God rest his soul, the Wade Boggs's of the world who constantly put the ball in play and wear you out with simple singles. Quarterback's no different. The big play, spectacular, once-in-a-while guy wows you and then breaks your heart. But the guy who can kill you underneath, and when we use the term uh, game manager, one high-ranking coordinator who's been a head coach as well said, to me, it's the highest compliment you can pay a quarterback because in truth, the greatest game manager this game's ever known has been Peyton Manning. Get you in and out of bad, out of bad plays into good plays. Sees a blitz, checks to it, directs the run game, directs the center protection so he keeps you out of a four-week blitz that hits you in the back and the ball's on the ground. Slides the line the other way, moves the back, change protection, and throws a slant the other way to beat the blitz for a touchdown. Now, Peyton Manning never had the strongest arm in the league, never had the fleetest foot, uh, fleet his feet in the league, but was always four steps ahead of everybody else because he was the most cerebral game thinker prepared guy in the history of this game. There's been far more that can throw it farther, run faster, and throw it harder. There's been very few, if any, that can outthink him and then execute an accurate throw on time and direct everything and know what all 22 are doing every single snap. I'll take that guy. So when it comes to the second year guys like a Zach Wilson, I saw him yank balls into the ground. Going to happen, rookie. Swim, you're, you're, you're trying to stay afloat. You're paddling a thousand miles an hour under the surface of the water. You are you're trying to get it, and then all of a sudden you'll flow, and one game will be like, damn. Now that's why they take him second. 
And then there's times there's a flat. And I remember one he threw against, I think it was a Texas last year, guy in the flat, or maybe it was another game, yanked it into the ground. And I, I know for a fact he'll hit that most of the time. But I tell quarterbacks I train, when you're playing against air or throwing these, you've got to live in that zero to 15. You've got to be great. So when you hit me singles, doubles runs after the catch is what I call a double for a receiver. You catch it and run on an eight-yard slant route. Before you know it, it's 40 yards. And that's a single that turned into a double or a triple. And then if you can hit the simple stuff, what happens naturally if you're Zach Wilson or any of these other guys that are spectacular, but still working on becoming accurate, anticipation, throwing guys open, getting a mental grasp that rookies sometimes don't have. They're get, getting better. Everybody's not Mahomes or that that explosive is a rookie when they even Josh Allen wasn't Josh Allen then. I mean, now what he what he was then is different. Light switch goes on that growth from year one to two. And that's what they're looking for. And a lot of it's mental of knowing pre-snap and post-snap of seeing everything you do. That's half the battle. If I tell quarterbacks all the time, if I give you the answers to the SAT test in high school and you don't get them all right or close, then you're not real bright. Then you haven't studied. It's not stupidity. It's just, it's the ignorance of not studying. I got the answers to the test. I should get them right, right? They're right in front of me. Well, multiple choice. There's the answer. It's A and you choose B, that's on you. But those are the, the answers to the test or in the study of understanding what the defense is trying to do to you. And that's what these rookie quarterbacks that are moving into their second year, and we'll go through one briefly here today, each one of them, that, that, that will enable them to get to another level. Now, talent around them, proper play calling. But I always say this, well, what a bad call. Some fans say that's a horrible call on third and four. Why throw it to the flat? Well, the flat was open. It would have been a first down. Well, I should have gone down the field a little bit more. Well, the flat was open. The guy yanked it to the ground, and we missed the first down. That, that, that could be a great play call. And I always say this, quarterback's got the ball in his hand. And if you got balls and you don't like the play call, step up to the line of scrimmage and change it and go deal with the offensive coordinator or the quarterback coach after you've got the guts to change it. Beg permission instead of beg forgiveness rather than ask permission sometimes. I don't mean all the time. You don't want to be insubordinate to your coach. Sometimes if you like it better, go with it and show some guts and go over there and tell your coach, I saw something I liked and go do it. You don't want to play uphill. That's what made Manning and Brady and Breeze and these and Russ Wilson so smart. They don't know. They, they don't play uphill. They don't swim upstream. They play downhill. Okay. And, and they know how to. So the light switch, it goes on. So the, the pre-snap and knowing, and then the, the, the conflict is who's the conflict on defense, which Zach Wilson and Mac Jones are going to have to continue to figure out. And then once you know the conflict, then I can get you the answers to the test. And then when all is said and done, us mere mortals sometimes miss throws, sometimes hit them. The good ones make more than the average ones. And then the great ones don't miss. There's a curl sitting wide open on a 12-yard route, and he's, there's a four-yard hole, which is a huge window in the NFL instead of a coffee can size window, and you miss that throw because you overthrow him or yank it in the ground. Uh, at, at 10 of those a game, and you won't, be in, you won't be long for the position. That's the difference in franchising, good, good to average, average to out of the league. And the, neg the biggest growth to me that I've seen over the course of my time from year one to year two is an understanding not only what you're trying to do to a defense, but what defenses are trying to do to you. I tell anybody I talk to, quarterbacks should always spend an hour or so a week with their defensive coordinator. Pros, high school, college. Why? Don't you want to find out how they're attacking you? How would Robert Sala defend Zach Wilson? Zach should talk to him about it. How would you defend me? Well, B, you want the truth or you want to, I want the cold, hard truth. Well, 
I, I'd force you not to set your feet, throw off balance and not make the, I'd force you to live down the field, get into a fade throwing talk contest. Cause right now, and at times I can even give you that short flat because your accuracy needs to improve and the mechanics need to improve to make it. Now I know he's capable of making it, but can he make it consistently? The greatest quarterbacks in the world, Brady, Breeze, Manning, um, Russ Wilson, over the course of time, live zero to 15 yards and they do not miss. They don't miss the shallow crosser. They don't, either, they don't miss the four-man weak hot read. They don't miss the side adjustment. They throw it accurate on time and throw people open. So from year one to two for Zach Wilson, it's got to be better accuracy. Garrett Wilson, the receivers, getting Brees Hall involved. They've got to dial him up, but he also has to be judicious with the football. It's okay to hit singles. Home runs are awesome. Base hits put runners on. And then you hit the home run. They start squatting. They're tired of the underneath stuff. And you got to take your shot. Show me a, a coach with no balls to throw it down the field. I'll show you a guy who won't last uh, calling plays long. Got to take shots. Zach Wilson's the accuracy. And New York can be tough on him. But they're going to give him weapons because it's just raw ability. The guy's got as many as any of the six guys we're going to talk about. I think they'll be improved. Mac Jones, he was the processing of information well ahead of the time. He was well ahead of everybody else last year. Starkeesian coached him up well. He was well coached, had great receivers in college, started off huge. For me, the question is, can Mac Jones carry the Patriots if it's a throw-in contest and they can't run it and they're struggling? And I saw where I think, I think he can. I'm talking about this is when I say this. This is just mine. This is, I think, perception or what I saw and not to fade at the end of the year. Can Mac Jones elevate? And will the, a new offensive coordinator that both Zach Wilson has and Mac Jones both have, you know, with, I mean, it was not, not, excuse me, not Zach Wilson, because Zach Wilson, it's his second year with the same offensive staff, which will be good. New players. Mac Jones has a new offensive coordinator and they really haven't named one. Who's going to call the plays now that um, Josh McDaniels is gone? So getting into that and being, we know he could protect the football and win throwing it 17, 18 times a game. Can he do what he did at Alabama and throw it 40 times a game and be that guy? They're going to have to take more vertical shots. See, for me, Zach Wilson, make more horizontal plays. For Mac Jones, it's going to be to make more vertical plays down the field. He proved that he can hit the underneath stuff. The next level. For Trevor Lawrence, good players. Another guy with a new offensive staff and a new coaching staff, Doug Peterson get involved, maybe a little bit more RPO. You know, even in college, Trevor Lawrence, they weren't some expansive, high-powered. They were high-powered, but you really never saw Trevor Lawrence get to be cut loose. They did not, they, they weren't overly innovative, actually quite drab and boring at times. They just had great players, and Lawrence executed, which is okay. They're always in the national title hunt. But even then, you're saying, what's going to happen when they expand and get in players and protect him? Threw a lot of picks last year. The whole thing was on him. If he didn't play well, they had no shot. It's usually the case with quarterbacks, but some can overcome that with a great run game, Tennessee, uh, normally. Teams that can run it. You saw the Indianapolis Colts at time with Carson Wentz. As long as Jonathan Taylor's in the mix, you can play average at times and still win. Until it gets to playoff football, then you better be lights out. And Tannehill suffered that last year in his playoffs. So for Trevor Lawrence, it's just, to me, an expanding offense and somebody who can step on the, on the gas a little bit for him and give him some weapons. And he too should mentally, all six of these cats should mentally take another level with their, their, uh, not only their eyes and knowing where they're throwing it, but with their urgent decisions. Here's the, the deal guys, quarterback's job for me, mechanically, we always want them to sh urgent 
there's like violence, speed, the lower half up, quiet, the body, the upper body with, a, with not a lot of movement, quiet upper body and slow the game down with your mind. What happens with quarterbacks, you guys, we know this in anything we do. Sometimes we're doing something, everything's going to hell in a handbasket. So our body gets tired and fatigued and that part slows down and the mental part speeds up, which is opposite of the quarterback. I want the quarterback's legs to speed up and to be urgent and violent and the rest of them just slow down. Huh? So, and part of that is knowing who to get, how to get them. Trevor Lawrence level is just building. I think they'll be improved and Trevor Lawrence. Then there's Trey Lance. The questions are, what are they going to do? Are they going to make him compete with Garoppolo? Are they still going to move Garoppolo? Is Trey Lance ready? Why didn't he play when the thumb or the shoulder was hurt? Do the 49ers trust him? Guy's got enormous skill set. He hasn't played many games. Think about in college, the one game his, his last year in, in school. Then he, then he left, and we went through the COVID stuff. He played one last game, sat out then, played off and on last year as a rookie. They trade two number ones for him to move up to get him. Garoppolo staves it off. If I told you that Trey Lance was going to be in a Super Bowl in his first full year of starting, Garoppolo, full year, I said, his first full season, the season before when he won like five or six straight, came over in the trade, his first full season of starting, Garoppolo got himself to a Super Bowl. Didn't win it, had it until the fourth quarter. Now, they didn't get there because of him, but I can tell you this, considering look at that roster and the quarterbacks at that time, they didn't get there in spite of him either. He had to play solid football. Then he goes through all the injuries. And then he comes back and plays this past year and got him to the NFC Championship game with help from his friends, the Kittles and the Boses and the, and, and the, and the entire, I mean, with Debo Samuels. But still, he had to play well. And if they had opportunities to move him out and keep him out if they didn't think he could play. So I'm wondering where the, the trust factor is with Kyle Shanahan and Trey Lance. Oh, they'll tell you they trust him. I'm not saying he's not going to be a great player, but he's still in his infancy. Played at a smaller school. Not that that's not good competition because it is. But whether you're at North Dakota State, South Dakota State, Western Kentucky, it, it, it's just a different brand of football. Doesn't mean you're not going to be great, but there is an adjustment period as there is even when you go from Alabama to the NFL. There's an adjustment period because balls that you can throw to windows, one of guys in the window, now you have to throw guys into the window. And there's a difference. I think Trey Lance's feet and arm, he's what you're looking for. Good-sized body, runs, high football IQ, can beat you with his legs and his arm. But do the 49ers trust him enough to go into the season? And is Garoppolo going to be an insurance policy that Trey Lance is going to get the job? Is Garoppolo going to be the starter until Trey Lance takes it away? Or are they going to trade and clear the spot for Trey Lance and say, we're going with it? Because they do have, if Debo stays, a, a, a Super Bowl-type roster. They, they do. And they lost some coaches, which they're going to have to. Trey Lance, even though Kyle Shanahan calls a play, Mike McDaniel, gone to Miami, how, how will he adjust? And does the competition bring out the best in him if Garoppolo stays? Or when you turn it over to him, do you trust that he's going to be mentally, physically, and emotionally ready to handle that position? There's Justin Fields. <clears throat> Excuse me. I don't think the Bears are very good. Um, and that's a Captain Obvious statement. But I also don't think that it's when people say, well, they don't have any receivers. I think you can see a forest through, a tree, through the trees when a player's playing to say, okay, they're not a playoff team, but I've seen growth. And I saw Justin Fields. They should have started him from the get-go. I don't subscribe unless Favre's on your team and Rodgers is replacing him or Montana and Young. I don't subscribe to the crap. Well, sit him for three years. Those days don't exist anymore. Now, if you're fortunate, you get to sit back because the guy in front of you is a Hall of Famer and a Pro Bowler and an MVP. 
God bless the team who drafted him. But if you're not, we expect you to play. And I would have started as much respect as I have for Andy Dalton. I would have started fields from the get-go if I was Matt Nagy and I'd have let him rip it. I'd have gone, I just said, we're going to, I don't, yeah, with struggle or not, I need to find out if my quarterback can handle getting his ass kicked because at Ohio State, all he did was dominate, did Justin Fields, right? Dominate. So going through adversity ain't a bad thing because we're going to find out if, you, if you're worried about your quarterback's feelings getting hurt after four picks or a bad game, then you shouldn't have drafted his ass in the first place. They're supposed to be mentally and emotionally tough. Well, what if he loses confidence? Well, my number one first round draft pick better not lose confidence. He better know that he's good enough to overcome anything. And I think Fields is big body, physical. I think he's got MVP skills. The question is, will there be separation for receivers? And will he hang around in the pocket long enough to deliver the football if he doesn't trust receivers, hopefully they'll take it to another level that Ibra Fliss will do a good job defensively, but the offense will expand. You can't corral a guy like this. You've got to cut him loose. Like they did Ohio state, get him on the edge, get him from the pocket. I know this. We all want the guy who can escape and run and make all kinds of plays with his feet and throw with his arm. That's the, that's what we're all looking for. But do you realize that over the last 30 years, find me a quarterback who was a runner. I'm not saying fields is, I think he can throw it. He's got the ability to escape and make things happen. Who's the last quarterback that maybe Russ Wilson that, and I don't even think Russ really wasn't run first. He was still pretty solid from the pocket, but expanding, they ran a lot of play action when he won a Super Bowl. Quarterbacks that throw from the pocket win Super Bowls. You want to go through them? Now, Ben Roethlisberger in his early days, escape, gets a Super Bowl, he can escape. We know Russ Wilson can't. Steve Young could escape, but Steve Young was one of the great pocket passers we ever had. 68, 69, 70% breeze, Brady, Manning, uh, luck guys that can extend, but if you can only extend, but you can't kill me from the pocket, we got problems. If you can kill him from the pocket and throw on time with accuracy and extend, that's the best of all worlds. Josh Allen, Mahomes, but they beat you from there first. So we all, we all crave the dual threat guy that used to be, if he's a dual threat guy, we didn't think he could throw. Now dual threat means he can throw. He passed. He's a phenomenal athlete, phenomenal high football IQ. And he just, you can't defend him. Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray wants to be, I mean, Russ Wilson, we've got Josh Allen. I mean, Joe Burrow, Herbert, all those guys, some of them underrated escapability, but also the ability to kill you from the pocket. But our Kurt Warners, you win from there first. People look at Elway was a scrambling. No, Elway was the ability to scramble and all that talent, but I played against him many times, beat you from the pocket first. And then escape and expand next, not the other way around. It's a great ability to have that some of us didn't have. The ones that do, God bless them. So with that, Justin Fields, expand it and let him go. He'll go through some tough times like he did last year. That's okay. I think he's a tough kid, and I think he's got a shot. For him, it'll be too patient enough to get through his progressions. Now, the last guy um, before this one's up, and I'll move on for you, is Davis Mills. Davis Mills, third-round pick. Now, all the other five guys are first-round picks, and we know the expectations. But think about this for a second. We're willing to, like in Houston, people are talking, well, this is a make-or-break year for Davis Mills. The guy had arguably the best rookie season of any of these guys. Not named Mac Jones. He was clearly the best rookie quarterback. On, as well, the third-worst team in the NFL. And probably as bad a roster as there was in the NFL. And went back and forth, got embarrassed himself against Buffalo, but has always been known as calm. He's not flashy. You're not going to see him on social media. 
not that that means difference in a guy's game. You just sometimes when you're out of sight, out of mind, and people don't hear from you all the time, we think, well, what's he doing? I need to know more about him. Well, he's probably grinding to get ready. So he's like a throwback old school. Now he, I'm, I'm talking about just in the way that nowadays, everybody, their self-promotion, everybody knows everything that's going on. They're doing interviews. Davis Mills kind of just going about his business, whether that's right or wrong. I don't know, but it's kind of the throwback of, and we, we don't hear much from Mac Jones or matter of fact, or Zach Wilson or Trevor Lawrence, he, Justin Fields. A lot of this class is very similar when it comes to just kind of trying to handle their business, realizing how important their second year is. And I love that about these six cats. But Davis Mills, great pure thrower, extremely poised. And I think there's one thing in common with all these guys. Unfortunately, me talking to Zach Wilson, watching Mac Jones, all the years of watching Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields do his thing at Ohio State and how he handles his business. Trey Lance, all the talk on him, probably saw him the least coming out of college. And then Davis Mills, as you hear the same high football IQ can make all the throws, do all those things. But for Davis Mills, it's their team's improved. You would think, but he's going to get less chance to prove himself over the next two years, more than likely than the other five guys are. And here's the irony. And it's a cover your ass thing. All five of those cats were drafted in the first round and we're going to give them a longer leash. If Davis Mills, let's say, has 3,800 yards, goes 25 and 10 touchdowns, interceptions, complete 65% of his passes this year, and they're 6 and 11, 7 and 10. Let's go 7 and 10. There will be some that want to run him out and draft one of those quarterbacks from Ohio State or, uh, you know, with Bryce Young from Alabama or C.J. Stroud. Understandably so. But what if you see strides? Can't just be the record of the stats. You got to see that force through the trees and say, "Oh, improvement here." People rallied around him, made good decisions. Two of his interceptions were tip balls. These things that you say, "Okay, I can see this." That with good players, let's give him a third year. The question is, will they? And I don't think any of us know the full answer, but I can guarantee you this: with Zach Wilson, Mac Jones, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, and Trey Lance, they're all getting a third year. And I know it's well, Sean. It's obvious they were first round draft picks. But there's the irony. The guys who you expect to be better because we drafted them higher get more leeway to suck. I'm not saying these guys suck, but any of them get more leeway to struggle and we'll roll it out and we expect more. But then your third round pick on a bad team, we expect to be lights out and elevate him so much so he doesn't have to deal with, well, the Texans are back picking third next year and they're going to take a quarterback. Now, I know that that's part parcel to the position, you got to elevate your third round pick. You get minimal reps to prove it. He did a great job of proving it. And I will stay, I will stake it right now. Stake claim now that I think you're going to see Davis Mills continue to elevate. I think this is a good class. They all six have flaws last year that they got to get better. They're rookies. We are absurd with our expectations of quarterbacks. I saw something in every guy or three or four traits. You say, damn, he's got ability. But here's the thing he needs to get better, him better, him better. And for every guy I've ever seen in the league, if they're doing it right, the light switch, oh, my gosh, okay, now I understand why they do this to me on third and four. Knowing not only your strengths, but your weaknesses will bode well for all six of these guys. I'm really excited to see this class, second-year guys, and if they can elevate into wow or if they're elevating or if they're just going to be a guy or that guy, that guy meaning elite quarterback or at least uh, elite projections and we see growth or they're just going to be a guy that two of these teams are going to go back to the drawing board and try to find somebody else. 
This league hinges on great coaching, tremendous ability, you know, being in the right place, being lucky. I could tell you what it hinges on more than anything, though. Ask the Rams. You better have that dude under center and in a gun. It's a great decision maker and that makes people better and maximizes the building. These six will get that opportunity. And Baker Mayfield, now we talk about, well, guys that are getting a chance, four years, chance, fifth year coming up, where will he land? And how will he be? How will he respond? Because this is the biggest adversity as a football player he's ever faced. Is it talk or is it action? Only Baker Mayfield knows how that's going to turn about or, or, or come about. And we'll find out where he ends up. Is it June? Is it around the corner? Is it he cut or is he going to get traded? Baker Mayfield's a starting quarterback in the NFL. I'm Sean Salisbury. We'll do it again. I appreciate your time here um, on the Sean Salisbury show right here on the Believe Network and all these great podcasts and a great lineup. Tune in. We'll see you next time. Appreciate you joining me. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.